Let's turn together to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is his son and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The text for the sermon this evening is the first four verses of Psalm 84. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. My mother is the kind of person who is always busy with some sort of art project or another. When I still lived at home as a boy, one of her art projects was the chair that I sat on at the supper table. She painted it with flowers and designs and words on the back that said, Home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. It's a phrase that gets at the human need we have for a place to go at the end of a journey or at the end of a day of work. You might travel for your job, you might have to go fight a war overseas, you might study abroad for a time, but you are always attached to the place that you call home. The Christian has a distinct understanding of that phrase, home is where the heart is. On the one hand, the Christian is somebody who places a high value on family and the home. A Christian father has a heart that is oriented toward protecting and providing for his family, both physically and spiritually. A Christian mother 
dedicates her life to providing a stable place for her children to grow and mature in a changing and otherwise unsettling world. There are many in the world around us today who look at the home as a kind of prison that you need to escape from in order truly to be free. But the Christian sees the home as a kind of incubator for the Christian life. But on the other hand, the Christian understands that ultimately his or her home is in God's home. The fact is there are some Christians who find themselves sitting in the ruins of a shattered family. And there can be Christians who discover that they have no nesting place in this earth because they have been forsaken by father or mother. But the Christian understands that the home of Jehovah is a home that will never fall into dysfunction. It is a home that will never close its doors to those who belong there. It is the one place we can go to with absolute certainty, and we can always say, this is my nesting place. Therefore, no matter how far we may be from the house of God at any given point in our life, we cry out with the psalmist, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yea, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Call our attention this evening to our text, and the theme for the sermon is the Christian's nesting place. First, we will see that this is a lovely dwelling to the believing child of God. Secondly, that the child of God longs for this place, this dwelling from afar. And then finally, that this is where the child of God finds that he is blessed. He is happy when he is at home. So the Christian's nesting place, first a lovely dwelling, secondly, longing from afar, and then finally, happy or blessed at home. So the psalmist saw something when he was in God's temple. Verse 1 speaks of the tabernacles, but it's a reference to the temple in Jerusalem. The psalmist saw something when he was in God's temple that caught his attention. He was standing in the court of the temple when he saw it. The psalmist was not a priest, so he was not allowed to walk through the front doors of that building, which was the temple Solomon built. The court was an open area outside the front door where the people of God would gather for worship. Between the court and the holy place, or the sanctuary, there was that great big basin of water called the laver, and there was the great altar of brass where the sacrifices of bulls and goats were made every day. So it would have been common for the psalmist to stand in the court and watch as the priests killed a lamb or a bull or a goat and laid it on the altar and then burned it to ashes as a burnt offering. Now as interested as the psalmist was in the daily sacrifices, this is why he had come to the courts of God, That's not what caught his attention on this occasion. What caught the eye of the psalmist was a fluttering motion off to the side of this unfolding ceremony. Perhaps some of you children can remember a time when you saw a bird's nest that had been built in a strange location. 
I remember going grocery shopping with my mom when I was a little boy, and when we were walking in the parking lot up to the front door of Meyer in the big block sign Meyer on the front of the building, sometimes in the little E, there would be a bird's nest, or in the J, there would be a bird's nest there with the little birds peeking out. Well, the psalmist now saw a bird's nest under some nook or cranny that had been built into the altar of burnt offering. He saw birds, sparrows, and swallows flying in and out, and little heads of chicks popping up and cheeping for food. Maybe it was the warmth of the altar's fires which attracted them to build their nest there, or maybe it was just a very safe place for them to build a nest that would protect their children from predators. But the psalmist saw, according to verse 3, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. For the psalmist, the sparrow's nest then becomes a picture for his own nesting place. That's what in it, what's in his mind when he proclaims and sings at the beginning of the psalm, how amiable, how lovely are thy tabernacles. Now let's notice something about what he's confessing here. The psalmist does not zero in on the temple or the courts of the temple all by itself. That's significant. The temple and the court and all of the furniture in the temple was important to him also. The temple, of course, is the house of God. It's the visible representation that God dwells, lives with his people in the Old Testament. So every morning when the psalmist walked out his front door, he could look up to the heights of the city and he could see there's God's house. God is there dwelling in the midst of us. And the court of the temple was his access point to the things of God and the ceremonies that were performed by the priests. But the psalmist does not zero in on the temple itself. The psalmist deliberately zeroes in on one particular object that was in the temple, which was the altar. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. It's like he's looking at that sparrow and that swallow with a pang of jealousy, where he, the psalmist, must stand at at a distance in the court, the birds get to build their nest right under the shadow of the altar itself. They get to be warmed by its flames. They get to be protected in its nooks and crannies. You see, for the psalmist, everything else in the temple is meaningless apart from the altar. And that is because everything else in the temple takes its meaning and significance from the altar. The blood that is shed on the altar of the sacrifices is the covering of atonement for his sins. The sacrifice on the altar is the testimony that Jehovah is gracious to his people, to him, the psalmist, and that he welcomes them into his family. So it is with his eye fixed on the altar that the psalmist exclaims about all of the temple, and everything that goes on there, how amiable, how lovely are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. So what significance do we find in the psalmist's parable for the church of Jesus Christ today? And as we apply what we received in the sacrament this morning, well, first of all, this picture, this parable 
reveals to us what the nesting place of the Christian is. Let me define a little bit further what I mean by nesting place. Your nesting place is the place you go to for refuge and security. Your nesting place is where you go to to find shelter from storms and from danger. It is where you go to stay warm and protected from the elements. It is a place of peace. It is a place of rest. It is where you gather with your family and you have fellowship and life with them. Your nesting place is where you take your meals. It's where you sleep at night knowing that you will be protected from any intruders who are barred on the outside. Your nesting place is also, therefore, where you raise your children. Notice the swallow does not only find a nest for herself in the altars of the Lord, but also a place to lay her young. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes we say about a pregnant mother who starts cleaning and organizing in her house that she's building her nest. Her eyes are sharpened for spotting any objects in the house that might be harmful for the infant that is about to enter into their lives. Before you know it, those little things, plastic pieces that you put to cover, the electrical outlets are there, and everything is set. The drawers are filled with diapers and outfits, and the cupboards are crammed with formula and supplies. That's your nest. It's the place where you raise your children and where you have your family. Well, just like the sparrow that the psalmist saw building its nest in the altars of the Lord, the nesting place for the Christian is Jehovah's altar. The Christian's place of refuge and security is not to be found in his wealth or his riches. The Christian's place of refuge and security is not to be found in the pleasures that he enjoys in this life or the places that he goes on vacation. His nesting place is not in his job or what he does for a living. His nesting place is not even in his marriage or in his family as such, as important as that is. The nesting place of the Christian is not necessarily a place where everybody is always nice to him or a place where everybody always smiles at him or a place where everybody shares exactly the same interests. The Christian's nesting place, according to the psalmist, is one place, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of the Savior that shelters him from the wrath of God and protects him from the sting of death, which is sin and the law. The Spirit of Jesus Christ warms the Christian with spiritual life and with comfort in the midst of his trials. Through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God, even amidst all of the turmoil and upheaval of this world. And we have rest from the labor of sin and the guilt of sin. The bread that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us is the bread of heaven. And safe in his arms, he gives to his beloved sleep. It is therefore under the cross of Jesus Christ also that the Christian raises his children. The swallows do not lay their eggs outside of the nest that they have already built 
in the nooks and crannies of Jehovah's altars. That would be strange. Once the hatchlings are born, they do not push them out. No, they feed them and shelter them right there in the nest that was built in the altar. So the Christian feeds his children with the same gospel by which he himself lives and is fed. It means that a Christian is not a helicopter parent who never lets his children get hurt, never lets them make mistakes. A Christian does not view his children as though they can do no wrong or that they have no sins. A Christian recognizes that his children, her children, also have sins and weaknesses and therefore that they need to be delivered and they need to be instructed and taught on the way of everlasting life. And therefore, the Christian leads his children to the cross as the one place where they will find refuge and hope because that's where they will find forgiveness and mercy. What motivates the believing child of God as he rears his children is not just that his children will do what he tells them to do when he tells them to do it. Yes, children must obey their parents. They must honor father and mother. But a Christian father and a Christian mother is a parent who stands by his children, always as a sinner along with them, and tells them in simple language the story of the cross of Jesus Christ. Look, my son, look, my daughter, you've sinned. That sin makes you guilty before God. But we have a God who is merciful. God who is gracious, who forgives sin. Look at Jesus. Look at the Savior. Do you know where your nesting place is, beloved? Do your children know where their nesting place is? In today's world that has a constant stream of entertainment that can constantly be piped right into our living rooms. It's tempting to make our nesting place in YouTube and Amazon. When our children are following us around all day and sometimes acting rather obnoxiously, it could be tempting to make them a nesting place in front of the TV or the iPad. And then we must remember the wisdom of the sparrows and the swallows who knew the proper place for building a nest. And if that's true for the birds, beloved, it's, it's much more true for you and me and our families. Where shall I build my nest? Where shall I lead my children? Even to thy altars, O Lord, my King and my God. The second point of significance that we can take from this parable that the psalmist gives to us is why God's house is so lovely to the Christian. The house of God is lovely to the Christian not merely because of the beautiful building where he worships or the investment that he has placed into that building, an investment that he may have been placing over the whole course of his life. The house of God is lovely to the Christian not merely because he loves the sound of the organ and the voices that blend together in the singing on the Lord's day. The house of God is lovely to the Christian not merely because of the style of preaching of the pastor or the personality of the pastor. 
It's not merely because he likes to see the faces of the people of God whom he loves and prays for during the week. Those things are all important. But as important as they all are, they're not what makes the Christian say, How amiable, how lovely are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. God's house is lovely to the Christian exactly because of Jehovah's altars. It is the altar that speaks to the Christian's heart concerning the God who lives in this house. What the altar says to the Christian is that the God who lives in this house is a God who forgives and forgives my sins. What the altar says is that the God who lives in this house is a God who accepts me graciously, unconditionally, at great cost to himself. What the altar says to the Christian is that the God who lives in this house is a God who is willing to become a servant in order to redeem his people, including me. What the altar says to the Christian is that here lives a God who does not shy away from making the ultimate sacrifice of love. It is the altar, you see, that gives meaning and significance to everything else in God's house. This is why the Christian loves to be around God's people, because they are the other souls who have also been redeemed through the blood that was shed on the altar. This is why the Christian delights in the preaching, because it is the preaching of Christ crucified. This is why the Christian loves to sing, because it is the song that lifts his soul up to the God of his salvation. This is why the Christian invests his time and his money and his life in the visible institution of the church in order to support the cause of the message of redemption. The Christian zeroes in on Christ and him crucified, and it is in Christ crucified that everything else has power and beauty and meaning and significance. Or you could sum it all up by saying the altar is what turns the house of God into a home. It's not just a building with walls and people inside. It's a place where a family lives, a family that is bound together by something that you cannot see, but which is symbolized by the altar, and that is the love of God in Jesus Christ. And oh, beloved, sometimes the church does not always appear to us to be a lovely place to be. People get hurt in the church sometimes. Sometimes they even get hurt by the church. There are sinners in the church and problems. That makes it very important to remember what it is that makes the church lovely to the Christian. And that's not anything to do with the church itself externally viewed and looked upon. But it has everything to do with the Christ who redeems her and her members, wretched sinners, every one. It's the altar that makes the child of God not only admit, not only state, but sing these words. O Lord of hosts, how lovely thy tabernacles are. For them my heart is yearning from banishment afar. That leads us into that expression of longing on the part of the psalmist. The psalmist's longing for God's house in verse 2 
It implies that he was somewhere far away at the time that he first composed these words. That sparrow building its nest in the altars is a picture in his memory, a picture which made him long to be in God's house even though he was not there at the time. Some commentaries believe that the psalmist here was David, even though unlike Psalm 23 that we considered this morning, there is no heading that identifies it as a psalm of David. Nevertheless, there are some times in David's life that match up with this experience. For example, when King Saul was chasing David in the wilderness and David was forced out of Israel to live in the land of the Philistines, not only was he forced away from the tabernacle, but forced out of the kingdom of Israel itself. You can imagine him crying out in longing to be in God's house. The other occasion is when Absalom rebelled, his son, and David had to flee from Jerusalem and hide in the mountains and the hills. On that occasion, the priests even began to follow David with the Ark of the Covenant. But David told them to go back. We can imagine David at that time in the hills around Jerusalem, having been chased out by none other than his own son, saying these words in verse 2. My soul longs, yea, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. But even if this is not a psalm of David, there were many occasions when a man or woman of Israel might have cried out, to be in Jehovah's house from afar. There were sailors, perhaps, caught in the storms on the great sea who may have recited these words, O Lord, my heart crieth out to be in thy house. There were shepherds away with their flocks who certainly would have identified with these verses. There were soldiers stationed in distant outposts who would have remembered the words of this psalm We can imagine pilgrims singing these words as they traveled all over Canaan to partake in the feasts in Jerusalem. My soul longs, yea, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. This cry of the psalmist takes on a special meaning for us sometimes when it becomes impossible for us to attend Church services on the Lord's Day, for instance. It wasn't that long ago when we spent Sunday after Sunday worshiping from home. And maybe at first that was interesting, at least for a little while. But pretty soon the effect of novelty wore off and it became frustrating and depressing. We just wanted to be back in church There are members of this congregation where that's still the case for them. Due to old age or other factors in their life, they're shut in at home on the Lord's Day, unable to come. Just think about that. For all the years of their life, since the time that they were little children, They come to church on Sunday in the morning and in the evening and they worship God. That becomes the rhythm of life. Something as familiar as breathing 
and now they can't come anymore. At least not without great difficulty. And that can be frustrating. Makes our heart, our soul and our heart long and cry out for the courts of the living God. We just want to be in church. But there's a bigger perspective on the psalmist's cries that we need to understand here as well. This is a cry of the psalmist that we can all relate to, whether we are able to assemble here in a visible church on the Lord's Day or not. The house of God is not a building with brick and stone, you see, nor is it merely the assembly of believers and their children on Sunday. There is a house, a sanctuary in heaven, which is the true tabernacle. The book of Hebrews speaks of this, where Christ at this time is sitting at God's right hand. And ultimately, it was to be in that house that the psalmist was crying out and longing. And it is to be in that house that we also long from afar. We cry out with longing to be in heaven. That's what we're doing even here as we are worshiping in God's house on the Lord's Day. We're crying out from afar how we long to be where Christ is, where God is. It's like we're standing in the courts like the psalmist was. And by faith, we're looking from afar into those open doors. We can't pass in there yet. But we want to. We long to go inside. We long to be nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart. Draw me, my Savior, so precious thou art. Fold me, O fold me close to thy breast. Shelter me safe in that haven of rest. This longing of the psalmist, therefore, is a very intense longing. It's a longing which really consumes him. The word, my soul, longeth, in verse 2. In the original, that word means to go white. Like when your face is drained of all color. Even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. That word fainteth means to be spent, to be used up. To be in the house of God, in other words, is a preoccupation. It will not leave the psalmist alone. It's the one thing that drives him. It's the one thing that motivates him. Think of a soldier who's been off at war for years. Finally, he comes home. He just The first thing he's going to do is he's going to go straight to his wife. He's going to be with her. That's what he was crying out, longing for while he was away. This is a longing which affects the psalmist both physically and spiritually. His heart cries out to the living God, but also his flesh. When a little child gets excited about something, his excitement isn't contained within him, but it has to come out, and his whole body starts to pulse with enthusiasm. He bursts out with running and jumping in his body. 
psalmist does not divide himself into parts, but is his whole being, his heart and his flesh that cry out for God's house. And this is a longing that fills him with joy. His cry to be with the living God is not a cry of despair. It's a cry of joy. It's a cry that looks forward with anticipation to the day in which he will be there. He remembers the sparrow fluttering in and out of the nook in God's altar. And the thought of it gives his heart wings which carry him in spirit all the way to Zion. It's an intense longing. A longing of expectation, but a longing from afar. Suppose the intensity of these feelings on the part of the psalmist often puts us to shame. Familiar are the hectic Sunday mornings, rising out of bed too late to get ready in time. Rushing into church the last minute. Then we sit in the pew and our hearts and our minds fly off to work. Fly off to school. Fly back to the farm on Friday night. How often have we nearly fainted? Fainted. Our faces drained of color. So strong is our desire to be in the Lord's house on the Sabbath day. How often have we sprung out of our beds on Sunday morning like a little child on his birthday, full of enthusiasm and excitement? I get to go to God's house. I say this not to shame us if we struggle with this. Shame will not put longing in the hearts. The kind of longing that that the psalmist gives voice to in this psalm. Shame will not make us say, my heart and my flesh cry out for the altars of the living God. Now the point of the sermon is to remind us where our home is, where our nesting place is as Christians. Our nesting place isn't a few extra hours of sleep on Sunday morning. Our nesting place isn't the comfort of our living rooms. It's thy altars. It's the house of the living God. And when we understand what our nesting place is, we're going to long to be there. And we're going to want to be there as often as we can. Our heart and our flesh will cry out to be as close to the altar as we possibly can be. Nearer, still nearer. Lord, to thy heart. About those who do dwell in God's house, then the psalmist declares that they are blessed in verse 4. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Now ultimately, the psalmist is thinking of those whose journey has come to an end. In other words, they are dwelling in the heavenly house of God. Their longings from afar have been fulfilled. They are closer to God than that sparrow who built his nest in the nooks and crannies of the altar. They they see the face of Jesus Christ in the flesh. They sit at his presence. They shall be still praising him. Which means they will never run out of things by which to praise the God of their salvation. Day after day of dwelling in that wonderful house only gives them more and more things by which to praise their God, the God who saved them, 
As the song says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. There's an infinite God full of infinite attributes and we'll never run out of things to praise and bless Him for. And those who dwell in God's heavenly house praising Him, they are those who are truly blessed. They are happy. This is happiness, beloved. To be in God's house praising Him. Did you know that that's the purpose of dwelling in God's house? The purpose of dwelling in God's house is not to be full of sorrow or to be so sober that we can't even smile. The purpose is to be happy, to rejoice, be full of the joy and the confidence and the glory of the Lord our God. That beautiful line in the Westminster Catechism captures so well the nature of true happiness when it says the chief end of man is to enjoy God and to glorify Him forever. That's the life of those in heaven. That's what we are going to be doing, beloved, eternally in heaven without any sin, without anything to cloud our happiness. There's nothing more blessed than that. But the wonderful thing about the Christian faith is that this blessedness is ours already today. Home is where the heart is. And your heart is not here in this world or in the pleasures of the things below as believers in Jesus Christ. Your heart is not in the United States of America. Your heart is not in the state of Michigan. Your heart is not in the city of Grand Rapids, though you live here and though you are interested and concerned about the things that happen here. But the pangs you feel for God's house show very clearly where your heart is. And your heart is where Christ is, where Christ dwells at the right hand of God. There's an unbreakable union between you and the Lord Jesus Christ who dwells at the right hand of God that you participate in and know by faith. So strong is that bond. So inseparable is that connection that you can be anywhere in the world. You can be in a foxhole with bombs exploding around you and still you can know where your nesting place is. It's in heaven. And therefore, the declaration of the psalmist applies as much to us who are here below still in the church militant as it applies to those who are already enjoying the glory that is to come. Blessed are they who dwell in thy house. They shall be still praising thee. Beloved people of God, do not forget, you have a home. You have a home, a nesting place. Let the longing for that home help you maintain perspective on everything that may happen to you in life or that may happen in the world around you. Though many difficulties may come upon you as we live in uncertain days, you have a secure nesting place in Jehovah's house and you are blessed. And what you can look forward to is that more and more 
you will be closer and you will be drawn in to that home and you'll be still praising the God of your salvation from ages and ages to come. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank thee for this gift of a nesting place, a place where we belong in thy altars and in thy house. We pray, O oh Father, give us to know, to understand, to see what a gift has been given to us, what joy, what hope, and that we may not take it for granted, and that we may not despise it or see it as something that is only a routine or a ritual. Thine altars, O Lord, this is our house, and it is thy house. We pray, O Father, that we may praise thee in thy house and be still praising thee day after day on into eternity. Send us away from this holy place with thy blessing that we may live our lives this week by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we may return again in the coming week. But bless us, O Father, let the blessing of the Lord our God be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.